Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we continue the second season of our summer series, Your Favorite Soundtrack, where we talk to our favorite people about the soundtracks they love. summer series talking with Aaron Velling, the man behind the synthwave website Velingo, and host of the podcast of the same name. His favorite soundtrack is for the 2011 Nicholas Winding Refn film, Drive. talking about the soundtrack to 2011's Drives. Yes, we are. It's uh, one of the, uh, I would say it's one of the most influential soundtracks in the last decade, easy, if not 15 years. I don't know. I think it's definitely had a huge impact on the landscape. One of our very, one of our earlier episodes, um, like back when the show started, we talked with Eric Craig, um, who's the director of A&R and music supervision at Lakeshore, who is like one of the people behind drive. Um, and it was, it was sort of a very interesting process of how they like sourced these songs. Like what was your first introduction to drive? Uh, I was exposed to drive initially. I just saw the trailer when I was watching another movie and, uh, the whole like pastiche of it was amazing. And then I went, uh, I was working as a, like this, the editor of a newspaper at the time, uh, it was a smaller paper, so editors still had to do a lot of reporting. And on those long city council days, um, I'd have a meeting, you know, that went really deep into the night. It would be like 11 o'clock at night. So my days were actually about 15 hours long. And in the middle of the day, I would go see movies. So I, one day, uh, it was about the week after the film opened. Um, I went, and this was September of uh, 2011. Uh, I just was the only one in the theater, and it was uh, from the, the opening moments of the pulsating uh, arpeggiations of uh, Tick of the Clock, the, the, uh, the song from Chromatics, um, all the way through. I was just, my mind was blown. Like, I, I, I knew some of what the, 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 like the vibe was with the, the film and the soundtrack because I was a fan of chromatics, of Johnny Jewel and stuff before Drive, but I hadn't really been exposed to like Kavinsky or College and Electric Youth and that sort of thing. So like when, when those songs came out in that context, that's like the perfect way to be introduced to the film and to that music is uh, just that's the whole package. It was a real, like, really just sort of course corrected my entire life after that point. 
So did you go and immediately like get the soundtrack? Uh, yeah, actually I did. I, I didn't, for whatever reason, I don't know why I didn't go, I didn't buy the vinyl. Um, so I, I missed out on like that first pressing and that, and the Mondo one and they're all like, you know, a $10 million or whatever now, <laughs> but, uh, I did, uh, I think I downloaded the soundtrack to be honest. And then after that, I went down the algorithm K hole and bought everything from that, you know, like that Kavinsky and college and electric youth put out. Um, I had already had most of the stuff from Italians who had better. So there wasn't much to buy, but it was, uh, yeah, so I didn't just buy the soundtrack, although I did do that immediately. I basically like spent, I think, like I don't know, like two hundred bucks or something on all of the music, and then it was a, it was crazy. It was like a, it was a, 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 it was a sort of an enlightening period of time. Well, that was sort of like the interesting thing is because like one of the labels that put it out on vital was Inveda, and they're also the ones who put out like all of the the college stuff. So it was just like you'd go to their website and you'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to get that. Okay, well, I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to buy this, yeah. and I'm going to buy this. <laughs> um, um. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it was. And um, Except I didn't do it for whatever reason. I wasn't thinking about the vinyl. I think at the time I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, in case uh, your listeners aren't aware, uh, newspapers don't pay very well. Um, so you, you have to you know, sort of do what you can. But... Uh, yeah, it was just, a, and then, you know, the thing about it is I'm talking about the, the pop songs, of course, but like the, like Cliff Martinez's uh, score was phenomenal too, and um, I would listen to that all the time. Like I did, I mean, hell, I, I had a car at the time because I was living in, um, I was living in Minneapolis, and uh, I, I moved to New York City like about a year later after watching that movie, uh, but uh, I would drive around at night with, the drive soundtrack on in the car it was a kind of cliche, but it made me feel like a badass. <laughs> well, I think it really, it really does. And the, the way the film is directed, I mean, I think at this point it's become incredibly apparent that Nicholas Winding Refn like knows how to make movies look good by pairing them with really amazing music. And I mean, like a lot of that is Cliff Martinez, but, um, like at the time it was just sort of like very like, Oh my God, what's this? Who, who's this guy? Like, like Brian Gosling is being a badass. Like what, you know, it was all, it was all kind of each level of it was, had something to appreciate and be amazed by. Yeah, exactly. It was, um, I, there wasn't there wasn't anything there wasn't any element to that film experience. Uh, even I say this to this day even more like that that wasn't that was deficient or that was like your everything was powerful and when mixed together it was just so supremely potent. I think Refn uh, with his choice of you know color and how they filmed it, uh, it, yeah, it was it was wild. It was it's it's intense and you know like before that he he did. Uh, uh, a few other movies that were it was the, the, that was the first time he was working with Martinez on Drive, but like before then he still was like he still was using music very powerfully in his films. Um, the the one that uh, comes to mind uh, specifically is Bronson, uh, which had a little bit that that had you know another Johnny Jewel track. It was Glass Candy's Digital Versicolor, and then it had stuff like. New Order on it and uh, Pet Shop Boys and then some uh, classic 
classical music tracks and it was it was used very powerfully but i think like on drive it's kind of ironic but on the the film that he was sort of a hired gun on was the one in which i think he really like figured out the exact formula for 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 having songs and score be a true storyteller or a true character pardon me um, in a film like i think if you think about it when you watch drive the songs are characters in and of themselves and, and oftentimes because there's not a lot of dialogue the songs are the are sort of doing the speaking for people It's it's really uh, fascinating to like in the in the wake of this movie how like different films that inspired it have have gotten like a little bit more notice. I'm thinking specifically like Walter Hill's Driver, obviously, um, mm-hmm. right. um, a- as well as, as um, like Thief. Um, like they have like they they share things with this with drive but no, by no means is it any sort of it's not a rip off it's 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 very much inspired by and taking aspects of it but like that the soundtrack to this is i think what makes it work is that it's very timeless it is the sort of music that it works in a movie from 2011 but it also could have worked you know you could easily drop this into a movie from the early 80s and it wouldn't miss a beat so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think like they they did a really good job of of finding songs that were like that had sort of a nostalgia nostalgic vibe, um, and then they were contemporary enough that you know you could you know convince a modern audience to go see it. Like they didn't necessarily just use like you know eighties pop songs. They mm-hmm. they they had people who were inspired by that stuff, which I think was really cool because the film, like you said. Like the film is not a ripoff, but it's a it's an inspiration, or it's inspired by stuff like Driver and Thief. And if you watch, I mean Thief especially, I would say there that whole like that was a Michael Mann, right? Like that yep. whole pastiche. The interesting thing that I, I I've read and several people have made the point of is that when people talk about the Drive soundtrack, like they're very specifically talking about like the soundtrack like those first five songs like if you buy it on vinyl essentially the first side of the first lp and then like one song on the second side but like that's what people are talking about like very rarely i feel like the we we talked about it a little bit but i feel like cliff martinez's score is sort of um almost overshadowed by the uh the the other songs that were were picked for it uh yeah i think like there's it definitely. I mean, people in general respond more to songs like like pop songs than they do to scores in general. Um, so, you know, like it's just by virtue of having like four or five really great songs on there, um, it's going to be a little bit overshadowed. I think it's st- like it's structured that way, too. The soundtrack is mm-hmm. like they didn't really space out anything. 
Um, but I think it's, it just has to do with like those songs are so powerful and they 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 come on so strong right away in the movie that um, that you know you, the, the score is just it becomes secondary. But what's interesting about it is, uh, as you know, I've uh, interviewed him a couple times, and when we've talked about Drive, uh, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of time to to do a score, but he. Uh, he did. He in that short amount of time, he he really executed something brilliant, and it was actually as he, as he told me a couple of years ago that it's inspired by the songs on the record. So, uh, in the sense, like you know, he only had a, basically what I'm saying is he only had a short amount of time, and he took his own sort of cue from uh, from you know a real hero and. Um, under your spell and night call and stuff like that, and sort of built off of that um, that sort of vibe. Uh, it was, um, I think. It, that, I think that's also why it's strong, is because he he's sort of speaking with the music. His music speaks with not only the film, but with uh, the other songs on the soundtrack, and um, so it becomes very cohesive. But yeah, you're right. I think it gets overshadowed, and I think that's just because the songs are so good. And also, I think like. You know, people in general just always gravitate more toward the songs than the score. Um, and it used to be, if you like, back in the day, I remember, like, you know, if you wanted to get, like, what's a really great, oh, a really great soundtrack uh, with songs, uh, Batman Forever. Yes. And um, you could get that. And then you could also get the Batman Forever original motion picture score. And, um, you know, I, I, I wonder how. <laughs> I guarantee you the the sales for the former were way more than the latter. But yeah, so yeah, it's that sort of thing. But I think like Cliff Martinez has since then I think he still gets I think it's still helped him in the long run. Like if people are thinking more about um you know, about the desire song under your spell or college electric youth a real hero or Kavinsky Night Call or even Chromatics Tick of the Clock, which is like uh, basically sounds like a score cue. Um, even if they're thinking about that stuff more, you know, he's still there for the ride and he's still providing this powerful voice. And it's helped him, I think, since then in terms of contributing to uh, other films, not just Refn. It's, it's, it's made him more of a, um, more of a, a draw, I think, as, yeah. a, as a composer. And I think it, it always does work the the stronger scores at least of of recent vintage where they're having to work around pop songs and things of that nature tend to be stronger like when they're playing off those other pieces of music because like it makes everything like an integrated whole like surprise like one of the things that I really appreciate about like even the 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 Junkie XL score for Deadpool for instance is that it has like that synclavier uh like thing in the the maximum effort cut that's sort of like the deadpool theme for lack of a better term it like it sounds very like late 80s early 90s which is like the pop music that they're working in and out of it you know like shoop or whatever like and it just that makes it so much more of a a whole than just having a score that's like very symphonic and then you just like drop pop songs on top of it and it's like "Eh." (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's that it's there it sounds like they were sort of like he was listening to that, that those songs and actually building off of those you're right and i think it's that's important and i don't know this is going to be a grand statement but i think i do see that more and more now than like it than it used to be and i think like 
that um, what's it like in the eighties? Like we always when we think about eighties movies, I mean you always think of the soundtrack. Like you you think of with Pretty in Pink, you think OMDs if you leave. You don't really think of I can't remember who did the the actual score like you know symphonic score on that, but um, you know I don't think too many people are thinking about that. And I think that if you know I don't know if if I wouldn't say Drive was like the first film to have something like that where the score built off the pop songs. I mean, uh, it, I have only had one cup of coffee, but I don't I can't really <laughs> recall anything that was that like overtly um, conversational. And I think you see it a lot more now. So I don't know. Maybe Drive inspired that. Maybe um, maybe it's just the the, the trend, like the, the the trend that's been ongoing for a little while. But I think it's. It's extremely important, and it's something all composers should keep in mind when they can. I mean, I understand these are, like, separate entities. You have a composer working to picture, and then you have music supervisors kind of, like, trying to get songs for a decent price and ones that fit and whatever. So I realize it's sort of like a parallel uh, uh, process, and it's sometimes siloed. But, like, when, when plausible and possible, I think it's important for composers to think about all of the sounds that are in a film. Agreed. Do you own multiple copies of this soundtrack? Like I asked Charlie Brigden about this when we talked about Empire uh, a few weeks ago, and so I, I, I feel like this is sort of like I know people own multiple copies of this soundtrack because there have been so many pressings. <laughs> yeah, I have a few. Um, there's ones that I've bought, ones that have been that have been sent to me. There's like. Uh, I think I had at one point I had five different pressings, but um, I actually have a test pressing as well that I just got, and it's like you know, the it's not labeled. It's just like the it's a straight up test pressing, but it's not even labeled. It's like I don't know, it's 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 a it's a pretty unique version of it. But I did give one away. There was a time uh, I think I bought too many. I felt like I bought too many, and I didn't really actually. I'm not really that big of a completionist when it comes to a lot of things. And so I actually recently gave it away in a um, promotion with a local theater here uh, where they were screwed. They had a midnight screening of drive on the weekend. And so on Friday night um, they did an Oprah style thing and I had this unopened fifth anniversary edition uh, pressing of the vinyl, which, you know, is a whole other thing, right? When it was fifth anniversary, they did a really cool like reissue type thing. Um, anyway, so they, put it under a random person's uh, seat and before the movie started uh, you know they the a woman came uh, to the front of the audience and was like all right everybody one of you has a drive soundtrack vinyl uh, un- underneath your seat and of course boom uh, somebody did and they were very happy and it was a nice little uh, nice little event um, so that's a long I, as you can tell I answer things very long but uh, that was sort of my way of feeling like I could like I bought all those different copies for a reason so otherwise I honestly like I listen to it more probably on my phone than anything because I listen to it a ton when I'm walking around uh, New York and stuff like that Thank you. 
moving moving into the 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 work you do under Valingo, uh, when did the when did the site the site itself start? Uh, so I started it officially in November of 2014. Uh, I, I had been sort of like ever since I actually ever since I saw Drive, I was sort of trying to figure out ways to like actually get it off the ground, and I didn't have sort of the confidence and infrastructure and complete vision until like you know, early 2014. And it took me, it took me a long time to get this thing started. Um, but like it, it was started basically because of drive. Like it was heavily influenced by, um, you know, all of the various uh, artistic families associated with, uh, the soundtrack. And so I sort of like finally, like everything came into place and I was like ready to do it. And it was in November of 2014. And then, like a month later, actually maybe even that same month, um, I did a review. Actually, the first re- first post was college. Speaking of drive, I was a, an EP that he had, and then he was in town that month uh, for a show, and I did a review of the show, and he shared it. So I think, like, basically, it, <laughs> <laughs> like instantly, I knew that that was a good sign to me that you know I was only about a month into it, and already one of the guys who inspired me to create the site. Um, you know, he shared it and helped support it. And he's been, you know, a, a supreme, uh, like, helpful uh, person ever since um, in terms of interviews and, you know, when I have questions about something and et cetera. Um, but another thing that I don't think um, people, I used kind of promoted the heck out of this uh, earlier because I was really proud of it, but the logo itself is actually created by the guy who does all the logos and art for college and for Electric Youth he, uh, and uh, some others. Um, so, like, I was, like, all in on the drive thing. Like, I went straight up, and when I finally got a logo, which was, like, three months after uh, I started the site, I was like, I'm not going to just do any logo. I'm going to go to the guy who did the, lo- <laughs> did the art that I love. Well, it does look fantastic, and it's pretty eye-catching. Who... Um... How did you? What was the conversation that led to the start of the the podcast? Um, okay, so I actually had a few different uh, goes at the pod at a podcast before um, uh, before Tony reached out. But originally, the podcast started out as a one off. It was going to be a one off episode, kind of an introduction to synthwave, uh, which which I liked. It gave me an opportunity to play a lot of like classic synthwave tracks that I feel like have gotten lost as the genre has gotten bigger and darker. Um, it was a, but it also was sort of like, anyway, it was, it was a one synth wave one one and it covered all the different subgenres of synth wave and it was really cool. And then at some point I can't remember exactly how, but it came to pass that there was a slot that was open. So, um, he invited me to, uh, Tony invited me to, uh, you know, join the network and, uh, it's been great. Like I've learned a heck of a lot in the, I don't know, eight months, uh, six months that I've been on the network. So how's the response been? Uh, it's been very good. I think I, I sort of don't think that I, 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 I'm pretty NPR ish with the podcast or when I do a (laughs) podcast, like I'm not really like that engaging. So I was like thinking that perhaps the podcast would fail and my strengths are more in the written word than speaking in general. But 
um, I've been I've managed to get some really good guests on the show and um, find some good songs to play. And the audience is a little different than the website, so it allows uh, me to um, to uh, like go back and and kind of introduce uh, a whole new audience to some stuff that you know I've been listening to for a while. And it's really nice because it's almost like you feel nostalgia for stuff based on nostalgia. It's a kind of a <laughs> A meta, or is that meta modernist or something? I don't know. So, uh, do you, what, what, I know you're sort of like in a summer hiatus right now. Um, what sort of plans do you have for like when things come, come back, uh, regularly? Well, the summer hiatus ended up being like a window dressing because I've been working all summer. Actually, ended up working a ton. <laughs> like for me, my fiance jokes about this. Like for me, a hiatus is only like doing three interviews a month or only having like two premieres. It's uh, it's pretty hilarious. But uh, right now, I'm finalizing a profile of Daniel Davies, who, um, as you know, is uh, part of the like John Carpenter trio with mm-hmm. uh, Cody and John. Um, I just did a premiere of Cody's new album. Um, actually, Daniel also has a new album coming out. They're both coming out on the 31st on Lakeshore, and Burning Witches is actually pressing the vinyl uh, for uh, the Daniel Davies record. Um, what, uh, and what else am I doing? I, it's just, there's a Val- speaking of drive, there's a Valerie Collective uh related some a bunch of related stuff coming out from the valerie collective uh there's a big thing on anorak it's his uh, the 10th anniversary of his um uh the release of his like p- pivotal night drive with you uh ep uh, there's uh timothy fife made a mix recently mm-hmm. that's it has like tons of unreleased or barely or just released stuff from burning witches and holodeck records uh I don't know. It's been like I guess my point is like when when I uh, you know this did the hiatus. It ended up not really being much of a hiatus. <laughs> I ended up doing like a bunch of stuff with Deadly Avenger and stuff like that. And it was just you know like I think it's because uh, for a couple of reasons I don't necessarily I don't think I necessarily know how to take a break from Flingo and I also like you kind of wonder if you stop doing stuff or people is anyone going to care anymore if you're if you're not constantly creating it's that it's that fear of the 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 freelancer I only know too well where you're afraid like the first time you say no is the last time you had a chance to say yes um yeah actually yeah that sounds about right <laughs> um I'm trying to think of there's just a lot going on there's a really cool guest on the pot next episode of the podcast which comes out in a week but I can't say anything yet um uh, there's, just, there's a lot going on. Um, I think like if 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 people are interested in popular sides of things, I did do a, a curated a remix a release with a buddy of mine. Um, uh, there's a score composer's contribution on it. You know the film The Eyes of My Mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Ariel Lowe, who did the score, uh, you, which Waxwork really knocked it out of the park with. Um, he his like sort of pop duo contributed a song to this uh, compilation and there's a Kung Fury guy on there. There's a guy who worked with information society. It's a really like strange mix of uh, (laughs) musicians, but it's really, it's really cool. The Kung Fury, you're talking about Mitch murder. Uh, This is actually highway superstar. Who's uh, Mitch. He's on Rosa Corsa with Mitch murder. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I never even thought to to ask Mitch Murder. Uh, he, maybe I should do that for the next go around. He's a very nice guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, strangely, I I used to still kind of work for a company that does like runs like web stores for for bands and labels, and one of them is Mad Decent which is Mitch Murder's label. Um, and so it was very weird just being able to ask my boss. I was like, hey, can you put me in contact with Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he put out that really good record on that label. And I don't know, he hasn't really done anything with them since, but he's like uh, he's like his own like private industry. He's mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. You, you ever hear his stuff? Like on Red, you, they use his cues all the time now. Um, there's... Uh, there's a show called Red Oaks. Uh, there's the the guys who did Eastbound and Down really love uh, the Rosa Corsa Collective, so they use a lot of those artists' um, music for uh, for licensing and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's cool. That's cool that you're, you you uh, spoke with Johan. He's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Only via yeah. email, unfortunately. But yeah, he was like super friendly, and he's like, "Oh, here's all the music." <laughs> For, that right. I did for Kung Fury. Here's a bunch of stuff that we didn't use, and it's just sitting in a folder in my on my computer. I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's bizarre, but thank you. And it's all really good, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It's it, he has a very unique uh, take, and he uses a tracker, which is fascinating to me because in the '90s I used to use a tracker when I tried to make music. Uh, it, it's uh, instead of like. Uh, you know, like a piano roll, uh, like normal digital audio workstations are. It's actually like, uh, you, it's a top to bottom. Like you basically just like program in the notes and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Well, I know you've got your own podcast to record. So uh, I would like to thank you again for talking with me this morning. This has been like a whole lot of fun. I'm glad to I finally, after talking with you online for so long, I'm glad to finally talk to you, um, even Skype-ish. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks for having me on. I hope I provided enough uh, insight in the drive. Sometimes I, I, it's, you like something so much that you don't really know where to start. So. <laughs> no, this has been uh, really great. Again, thank you so much, uh, and uh, have a good rest of your day. You too. For speaking with me. You can find him on Twitter at Valingo, which is V-E-H-L-I-N-G-G-O, and you can read his work at Valingo.com, among other places. The Valingo Podcast is part of the Damn Fine Network, which is available on your favorite streaming or podcast service of choice. You can find this show on Facebook and Twitter at From Inspired Pod and at our website fromaninspiredby.com. We are also available through Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back next week with the final installment of your favorite soundtrack. Until then, thanks for listening. (laughs) 